Hello and welcome to a new episode of Random Nintendo, episode number, Jason? Wow, great intro. Uh, 254. You got far there, Angel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just wanted the, the number. I, I didn't need any help on the rest of it. Um, okay. I mean, you Today, did get the we're number, talking about... yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't get the number. Oh, correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, correct. he didn't get the number. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we got a... Yeah, the episode I believe is called The Big Picture. Um, Jason um, sure said is. that, yeah, I was playing Pokemon Snap, and you take pictures, and he said there was some big Pokemon in there, so he liked the name. And I'm I like, like how you're telling know. it like you're a little kid that told about something that happened at school today, and then and then Jason's <laughs> like, it's a big picture because Pokemon Snap, and then he said there are numbers, so it's because of number. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, and um, I guess other stuff happened. I mean, you know, Nintendo's still doing successful, so Jason will remind you of that. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, um. You could also, <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's outro stuff. But yeah, without further ado, um, yeah, I'm Angel, and we also have, I forget how this I'm goes. Jason. Jason. Yeah, Jason. And there's also Kevin. Ayo. And yeah, I guess, um, what, what do you guys want to start with? Um, well, Jason? hold on, you forgot something <laughs> crucial. You forgot something oh, crucial. There are uh, timestamps oh, oh, on the I, blog yeah, post. Oh, that's right. This is such an easy yeah, thing to I, forget. I never remember to, to bring up the timestamps during QC. Yeah, it's it's you know that was a request from someone years ago that they wanted timestamps because this thing's so long, and you know maybe they only care about Super Mario or, or not Super Mario, Mar- Super Mario Party, or maybe they only care about Game Builder Garage, sure. and this lets them find what they're looking for. Yeah, I yeah, timestamps are a very good call. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, I, I we should we probably mention actually, um, along what? with those. Because um, we said Pokemon Snap, but we didn't uh, acknowledge that Kevin also has the new Apex Legends Season 9 impressions. So we have, we have two games we're talking about. Ayo. Not just one. That's Angel, right. do you have a game to talk about? Where, where, are you, where are you doing with your life at this point in time? Lately, oh, I've man, just been doing a lot of animation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lately, I've just been doing a lot of animation. It's been mm-hmm. pretty great mm-hmm. jumping into Maya. Um, I'm also getting close to my one-year anniversary. I think it's maybe one or two weeks from now of having drawn a new, a different cockatiel in a costume every single week for almost a year, which yeah, it's pretty great. Like this week's um, cockatiel is a ratchet one and I've already sketched it out. Just have to clean up the lines. To, to and... be clear, you mean ratchet and clank, not ratchet. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. A ratchet okay. and clank one. Okay, just need to make sure. Yeah, and I mean, and they've, and they've run the gamut. Like, just to give you an idea of like the variety. Like last week was Ash Ketchum. Week before that was Phoenix Wright. Then the Shredder. Then Godzilla. Then Samus. Then Shrek. Then Banjo. Then Akuma. Then um Freya from God of War 2018. Then Sephiroth. Then a Xenomorph. And even Bill and Ted. So kind of. Anything is on the table. But, yeah, so that's been keeping me busy. Not as many new games, though. I mean, I mean when I do play, it's been Smash Brothers, as I'm also preparing for a crew battle, actually, which is kind of exciting. The Discord where we had that tournament, I want to say back in November, December, um, that I'm really happy I actually won. We are now having a, yeah, a crew battle like against another Discord, the cosplay Discord surprisingly oh man it's like a turf so not war. really what you would expect to have like really great smash Bros. players but that, um is that stereotyping that feels like a stereotyping kevin is that stereotyping i mean that that stereotyping. is definitely stereotyping angel tisk, I mean, tisk. and on no, recording no, too you can't take it back it's on the record forever i said i wouldn't expect them to have not that they can't have uh, it's still stereotyping 
I mean, it's like it's like saying <laughs> like, oh, it's literally a Discord dedicated to Smash Brothers versus a Discord dedicated to cosplay. Mm. I mean, who do you think would have the upper hand? But uh, cosplayers with the element of surprise. Well, I mean, that's what they would have. That's all they would have going for them. But um. <laughs> Yeah, so looking forward to that. Never really done a crew battle, especially on this scale. And not actually be streamed, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully my power that's doesn't cool. go out like it did during the nice, tournament. Nice, nice. Oh, right. But yeah, that's, so yeah, that's what you've been not that, playing. That's been me. Which yeah, I, I just matched than Monster Hunter when I can't play. Right. Brawl Stars, but yeah. Right, which um, I guess mm-hmm. that sort of leads us into what we're playing, uh, Kevin, you and I. Um, so for me, I guess we'll talk about our episode's namesake, which is new Pokemon Snap. Um, actually, I kind of have a question for you guys about new Pokemon Snap. What did you guys play it on the N sixty four? Like, what's your? Were you into it? Like, did what was your relationship with that game? Like, did you like? I can't it? even remember if I played it anymore. Wow. What about you, Angel? Do I remember, you remember seeing it a lot when it came out. I don't remember if I was physically holding a controller anymore to actually control the game. Hmm. So, so you that that almost speaks volumes of how you feel about the game. It's just it existed. <laughs> Essentially, um, I mean, like, I, I, like, I remember all the hype surrounding it, especially, like, being able to go to a blockbuster to print out pictures. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Angel? blockbuster. You... R.I.P. There's one still in, uh, Portland or Bend, Oregon or one of those places. So there's a, there's a couple of them. I know there's one in Alaska and they have, uh, Russell Crowe's, uh, Mains? like, loincloth from Gladiator That's on display. Not at all weird. Huh. <laughs> something like that not that much different than what i guessed yeah it's surprising me huh. uh, well, um angel were you did you were you a big pokemon snap guy where, where it was a jockstrap uh, yeah, it wasn't the loincloth yeah. it was a jockstrap so even weirder yeah definitely definitely weird uh, <laughs> kind of yeah, i remember kinda. my my brother and i really liked it i mean i want to say we 100 percent at the first game i mean it's not that it's like long of a game it's like a right. couple hours if yeah. even less um yeah, I remember liking it. I like the, you know, how, I mean, it feels kind of weird to say not because it's so old now, but just how, like, lived in a field, just seeing the Pokemon in their natural yes. habitat. Yes. I don't know. We enjoyed it. And I, but I, while I haven't exactly fully revisited it lately, I have, um, here and there, like in the last 10 years, actually, even during college once, I think, kind of just like either watch someone play or just kind of go back to, like, footage of levels and it yeah my my memories of it were way better than i guess what it was it, it's, it's unfortunately in that camp of like mm-hmm. i kind of wish i left it as a memory because yeah it looked way better in my head but the interactions were still really cool like if for an n64 game that's really awesome right. and i mean it looks like this one kind of captures that but yeah i don't know uh, i i'm more for this one more than anything, it's just more of a, like I mentioned, I've been really busy animating and drawing stuff lately, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to be Monster Hunter before anything else, so I don't really think I have the the bandwidth to add another game into my rotation. Right. But yeah. yeah, the, the, but yeah I, I, I enjoy it, but uh, but but the, I guess not enough to buy it day one. We'll just put it right, that way. Right, right. And, and you kind of, I mean, both of you are saying something, but really you, Angel, kind of hit the the nail on the head the reason i was asking because um for years i mean literally years i've been saying how i want a sequel to pokemon snap and like i still think that having it on wii u 
was a huge oversight by Nintendo because of you know, yeah, Wii U was like the best stuff. platform for it. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because apparently it was the response to Pokemon Snap hitting Wii U's virtual console that actually finally truly got the sequel made. Like there were a few attempts in the past before that, according to the developers, but it wasn't till the groundswell when it came to Wii U, the original, that suddenly people cared. But um, so you know, I, I for years have been like, oh my god, yeah, Pokemon Snap. But then like from the time it was announced until up until release, like. As it kind of moved towards release, I kept starting to have some doubts. And I think, Angel, you're partly a blame. Because, I mean, you hit the nail on the head just now of like, um, oh, well, it's oh, not how I remember it. No, and, and, you know, Chill I know, out a little I know, bit right there. I know. Angel, you're at fault. But no, seriously, because you have pointed out to me time and time again that sometimes my love of stuff as a kid can be clouded with nostalgia. I mean, I'll, I'll swear in my life that Star Fox 64 is actually a good game, but you raised some legit points about why, you know, it's good, in my opinion, versus yours when you got in the series layer. So my point is, like, everything about New Pokemon Snap did feel like a new Pokemon Snap in the way that, like, New Suit Mario Brothers was the same basic gameplay just with updated visuals. Um, you know, New New Snap kind of almost seemed like it was just straight up an HD Pokemon Snap, right? And the question that kept lingering in my mind was, like, how much did I enjoy the original Snap because it's the first 3D representation of the Pokemon world? You know, the first chance to even little polygons, as you said, Angel, like, have a lived-in Pokemon world that you could experience. Like, how much of it was my love of Pokemon at the time and my Pokeholism, I guess you could call it, and going to Blockbuster. Like, you were talking about Kevin and printing out the yeah, sticker card. You did love that like, Pokehol. I sure did. I drank it every day. Yeah. But, um, you know, how much of it was you that and how much of it <laughs> how much of it was like an actual sure parents were good yeah. – Oh, they I have they have so much money. So much money on Pokemon stuff over the years. Like, they probably – yeah, they probably just look at it and go like, oh, yeah, there goes like half his college savings just right into Pokemon cards. But, um, yeah, so how much of it was, you know, that stuff and how much of it was actually good, engaging gameplay or like – or the gameplay concept itself. Like how much does that hold up? Like maybe there's a reason Nintendo didn't bow to fan demand for like 22 straight years. Um, so I sort of came into new Pokemon Snap with like weirdly conflicting expectations because on the one hand, I was psyched to finally have a new entry – but then there's definitely this little voice in my head that was like, but did you actually want it, though? Like, is it actually something that should get a new entry? And what I'm now happy to report to you guys is that so far, in my time uh, with the game, that little voice is pretty quiet. And I think, uh, you know, I'm mostly enjoying it. I think the reason is kind of twofold. I mean, first, in the same way that Pokemon Snap felt like you're in that living, breathing world, exactly what you're saying, Angel, even by early 3D standards... New Pokemon Snap, like, you know, the graphical boost absolutely delivers that feeling all over again for me, which is especially impressive given that um, other properties within Pokemon have now also captured that feeling. I mean, as you guys know, and as anyone who listens to the show for a few years now has, you know, heard me say time and time again, like, that feeling of a real Pokemon world is probably my favorite Pokemon experience. It's not the battling, it's not the catching, it's the feeling of, like, being inside this Pokemon world and, um, you know, being inside all that Pokemon, uh, bad word, all that Pokemon stuff, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's what I loved about, uh, like the wild area in Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's what I absolutely loved about, uh, Detective Pikachu as a movie. So you'd think maybe that'd be tapped out to some degree. Like I've experienced it in all these other ways that are more flashy, like is snap enough yet surprisingly, like, with new Snap, you know, seeing the interaction between the various Pokemon with each other, with the environment, with, uh, you know, even with you when you throw fluff fruit at them, 
Uh, it's just, you know, it's just such a, like, I, I, it sounds so cheesy. It's such a joy to experience. Like, I don't know how better to describe it. Like, it, it goes beyond what those other experiences gave us. And they're, like, you know, 200 Pokemon in the game versus 60 in the first Pokemon Snap. And even with that many Pokemon, the developers still have each Pokemon have multiple experiences and interactions that just make it feel alive. Like, some come off, you know, very scripted and canned. You know, there's one where, like, Badoof's run away from a Dedrio in the first level that just so happens to happen the second you roll by in your little Neo one, which, you know, it feels like a theme park ride where you roll over a switch and the animatronic springs to life and does its thing. But then in that same first level, like, there's, like, every other type of Pokemon has, like, their own little story. You see, you know, using Bidoof again, because my favorite, but you see, like, a Bidoof scampering in front of you at the start, then a little later you see him and some other Bidoof, you know, kind of holding sticks near a dam they're building, then, you know, a little bit further down the Bidoofing road, it river, up. and now there's Bidoof's coming down the river. What? Bidoofing? No, Bidoofing. No, just, but, just, Bidoof, just Bidoofing oh, it yes, up. Bidoofing it up. Being the best Bidoofs they can I mean, be. That should I mean, have been the be so blessed. Bidoofing it up. <laughs> But I mean, you, you must feel so blessed that um, that you actually get Bidoof in the game because, dude, I think you have if, no like, idea. If, if, if Chatsot was in there, I feel like I would have been more inclined to just have it already. But yeah, unfortunately, that's like the one thing I just spoil for myself: just whether certain Pokemon are in there or not. And none of the ones I wanted to be in there are. I I like, am oh, incredibly. To use your word, I'm incredibly blessed that Bidoof is having a year. I mean, Diamond <laughs> and Pearl remake. Uh, he's in Pokemon Arceus. Like, he was in the trailer. He's in Pokemon Snap in the first level in, like, bulk. Like, there's tons of Bidoof. Like, it's... Man, I've I, I mean, I've someone there must so really long. love Bidoof. I've waited... Yeah, and I applaud that person. Because it's, it's like... Bidoof kind of a side... It's all I've ever wanted. Kind of a side tangent, but if you enjoy watching um the occasional just like animated short on the internet from time to time um there was a series oh man, who made it this was a long time ago by dork maybe it was darkly i think it was darkly um not all their skits are great but there was one series i think called pokemon rusty that my brother and i got really into oh yeah pokemon was, rusty's hilarious yeah that, that one was really funny that, at, doesn't it he has a really big role in that um yeah, you uh, the the whole thing is like forty seven minutes because you know it was like a bunch of like little two minute, three minute, four minute shorts, and they tackle everything from like you know EV training to breeding to gyms to, and pretty much like everything Pokemon related. But it just gets pretty bonkers towards the end, and especially if you're a big fan of Bidoof, like I would really recommend it because it's pretty hilarious. Like I don't know if you ever saw the ending, Jason, but I remember seeing the ending. Yeah, but I, I remember would... seeing some of it. Yeah, the, but yeah, Bidoof is like the <laughs> yeah. He's just the main part. I know I've, I've shown you episodes, but I don't know if it was like concluded by then. But also, yeah, maybe so, I have to show you the the last few because I would like to see your reaction as well. Especially. Someone on Twitter um, okay. pointed out, and I can't believe I missed this. The Bidoof name I never thought about. It. It's Big Doofus, just shortened, which is so perfect. Then what's Bieberol? Or did they just kind of like drop? I the don't ball know. On that one? I don't know. Just let this Twitter guy have his theory. But, 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 um, yeah, no, Bidoof's the best. I was gonna say, um, they just, yeah, so no, so no love for the evolution at all, though, right? It's like, as soon as they evolved, you're like, eh, I don't care about you anymore. Oh, the, the evolution looks dumb. It's all about the original. It's the OG Bidoof that matters. Oh, know? and the, and the pre-evolution doesn't look dumb? It's like charming dumb, not like the <laughs> eyes, he's gonna, like, murder you, and he's gotta, like, pop up slowly from behind your bed in the dark dumb. 
Like, I don't know. I don't like his evolution. I mean, his evolution's fine, but I prefer the the the, the younger doof. Gotcha. Yeah, but, you like him young. Yeah. Okay. I did not say that. I first first I almost said I like being inside Pokemon. Now you have me saying that. This is not going well for me this episode. But um, anyway, no. The thing I was gonna say, um, or the thing I was getting at with Bidoof is like the original Pokemon Snap did have those sort of character vignettes where they like weave in and out of the level as you go through. But what's cool and why I really appreciate because it it's Bidoof about um, new Pokemon Snap is it they're not picking flagship Pokemon here. Basically, the fact that you have Bidoof doing that while five and six other Pokemon are also weaving in and out with their own little activities just really brings it to life in a way that the original didn't, which obviously, you know, there's more graphical power to work with. And of course, they're all just like triggered animations and scripts and stuff, but it's just cool to have that much happening at once. And I think what really helps with uh, that feeling of everything being so alive is that while you do have to revisit the same areas multiple times, um, like in the original game, here each time you uh, raise the levels... um, level i get i think they're called levels the levels level yeah by uh basically as you take photos you get points as you get those points you can raise the, the um you get to like level two level three of each environment um and as you go back uh they all the pokemon are doing different things like there's all these new scenarios it's the same basic pokemon sometimes there's some different ones but they're all like interacting different ways and even if you're re- revis- revisiting the same environment it's not like the original where, you know, it's just, oh, now you're on a branching path, but everything leading up to it's the same. Like, every time you get to that new, like, level, all the Pokemon are engaging different ways. If they're asleep before, maybe they're awake. If they're walking by themselves, maybe they're in a herd. But Doof maybe so is hanging out. So does that mean once you miss something, you miss it? No, 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 because you can go back. Like, and play. You could replay any level. Each, I guess the better way to think of it is each environment. Oh, er- every stage of it, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, so when you level up a level, oh, okay. which is silly brand uh, wording, it's actually environments with individual stages, really. I'm just using their level level term, which is confusing. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So there, you know, there's I think like six per like or four or five, like some day, some night, um, and then there's usually like an offshoot one. And um, you know, each of those individual ones, if you go in it individually, it's the same experience. But there's so many Pokemon, so many things happening. You can do it a few times over and not feel repetitive. But because they actually like evolve the environment as you unlock more levels, like it does feel much more alive because. It's the same environment, but now it's a you know it's sunset. They're doing something different, or it's nighttime and they're asleep, or it's daytime and there's a herd of them. And it just it really helps make it feel like it's not just this kind of like theme park ride exclusively. I mean, it is, but you know it, it adds more variety, I guess you could say. And um, gotcha. And you will, to some level, need to replay the same stage a few times to capture all your photos. But like, it just yeah, with the it just really helps make it feel a little more variety. Uh, varied, and I, I haven't even touched on the attention detail for each Pokemon either. Like the way they interact with you and your items, like that too varies. Like gone is the Pester Ball um, from the original Snap, because I mean, if this is supposed to be the real world, you don't want to, like anger or upset a wild animal you're observing by like chucking things, like um, like painful things or deadly things at it. So instead, they uh, they kept fruit. It's no longer apples. It's called fluff fruit, like I was saying before. Um, Different Pokemon engage with it differently, though. It's not like in the original where it's like, oh, fruit, and they just immediately eat it. Um, some will like it. Others won't. In a really good example of detail, um, even some can't engage with it if they want to. Like if you throw a fluff fruit at a uh, Cacnea, it will actually stick to its uh, its uh, needles. Like it can't even get to it because like if you throw it just right, it sticks to the needle, which, you know, is perhaps my favorite example of how the developers really tried to make this feel like it was a real world because – 
if you threw something at a sharp object in real life, there is a chance it would stick to it too. Like it's not just like, oh, well, this Pokemon just happens to have spikes, but we're going to pretend it's a real creature. It's like, well, no, it's a spiky Pokemon. So what happens if you throw something at it? And there's also now a new um, scanning feature, which it kind of serves as like a tip system for when to look out for specific Pokemon or environmental elements, or like certain interactions. Um, but it kind of fills in for the pester ball a little in that when you scan a Pokemon, it will react. It's not going to be full on like annoyed at you or pestered feeling, but it definitely sort of gently prods them to engage with you in some way. So there's kind of this two early on in the game, there's both these options and, you know, Obviously, in the original Pokemon Snap, you ultimately got the Poke Flute. I'm not far enough in this one. I know if it's there, but same idea. Um, so that's all the first of my twofold of reasons why I'm enjoying the game, the world. Uh, the other is just how much more there is over the first game. Like I, I said before, there's you know 200 plus Pokemon here versus 60 in the original. We're talking more environments, uh, more of a story, albeit a very light one. Um, that kind of strings it together. There's a set of secondary missions that are assigned by Professor Mirror and his assistant Rita, which have you capture certain Pokemon in certain conditions, which, again, it's good that you have variety in the Pokemon behaviors because that makes having to go and capture them. You know, you're going back to an environment, but you're going to the right level. You're experiencing everything you're trying to find when they're awake or yawning or this or that. Like, it, it, it helps it helps make it feel more alive, even if it can get a little repetitive as you look for the right thing. Um, and there's also an online component where you can set up an online page to highlight your six favorite photos you've shot. Mine are, as we were just discussing, of course, all Bidoof. Uh, you can give a suite to other people's photos, which I guess Facebook must have a copyright on like or something. So it's sweet here. And you can browse like most popular pics. Um, there's uh, like trending on the, on the main menu when you first put up the game. There's actually a neat little feed that shows you other people's photos as they fly by, which, again, makes it feel like you're part of this bigger live Pokemon world where everyone's taking pictures. Um... Plus, you know, the nice thing about the the sharing is the Switch has the screenshot tool, right? So you can actually post your pics to social media and very much inside the times uh, when you save pictures in-game to post on the in-game sharing or to your Switch's social media, you can add filters, stickers, borders. Um, actually, when you first complete a level, they even do a cool thing where you can reframe your photo. As long as it's in the same viewfinder, like capture, you can move things around, zoom in, adjust. So that's, that's kind of nice. Change some of the, like... Uh, huh focus point and things like that so so that's all really cool but here's where the little voice size word worried about starts to kind of pop up again the photos themselves so the game's algorithm or uh excuse me professor mirror uh he rates your pictures based on a number of criteria ranging from the framing to the pokemon's pose to how much is going on in the background or if other pokemon are in the shot you know all that good stuff but the problem i've been having is he doesn't really rate them Oh, no. Well, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think well, so he perfect. doesn't rate them well, or he doesn't rate your pictures well. No, he doesn't rate. He doesn't rate. True. I'm not. They're all Bidoof. I mean, I mean, we're all talking about. Listen, I got pictures taken by Bidoof, you. So here, let me. Right, then again, you are known for taking, and I hate to admit this, like you take good pictures, like really good pictures that you usually post on, you know, your Instagram and Twitter about mm -hmm. from events or when mm -hmm. we go to conventions and stuff like that. Thank you. But the problem is that none of them feel like they're taken by a normal person. Oh, I'm not a normal person. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, 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 yeah, and you're, and you're definitely not. So, like, that, 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 that's kind of like, a, like, well, no, duh. For anyone who wants reference normal. to what Angel's saying, like they which feel, is um, that and, I and look you like take I'm this hired as a by every event. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, sure, you can take that as a compliment. But all his pictures always give me that feeling of, like, 
this person was hired to take this picture for like a magazine, not by like someone that genuinely wanted to do it for fun. Like they all feel like, like, oh, man, this is another, another paycheck. But what's funny but, is that is fun for me. And I think when I was saying, you know, I don't know how I'm going to interpret Pokemon Snap this many years later. This is where the difference lies between playing as a 10 year old Pokemon diehard and now a 32 year old Pokemon fan. Like this is where it starts to fall into place. Cause I mean, new Pokemon Snap for all intents and purposes, is just a slowed down on rail shooter, right? Like Nintendo traded shooting a gun for like shooting film, uh, well, shooting two film, I should say. Uh, but the way it all plays out, the way you're just sort of like along for the ride, it's a, you know, it's a light gun game. And that means, of course, that like a light gun game, it's important to aim directly at your target. That's how the genre works. The better the, you know, the more centered your shot, the better you're going to do. But in the time since 10-year-old me played Pokemon Snap, I started to like to take actual photos, like you're saying, Angel. Maybe to a degree that I should be getting paid, then I'm not. I don't know. But whenever, I, you know, whenever I'm traveling, I take way too yeah, many photos. Yeah, you need photos. to reach out. You need to find someone. I know, right? Well, I mean... You kind of deserve to be paid for I, I didn't get paid, really but great. I did get, like, I took a... My favorite example is I took a photo of Mike Shinoda at a show, like Linkin Park's Mike Shinoda, and then, Mike, like, Linkin Park's team reached oh, out. I thought like, we were going to talk about a Pokemon photo. Oh, no, 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 no. But Mike Shinoda's team reached out. I was like, hey, could we, like use this and he like retweeted and stuff so i sometimes get attention for it but anyway um yeah but i take a lot of photos now i mean i, I was looking the other day on my camera and even just sitting at the apartment i have 2800 photos of the three cats that live here like what that's insane no that's not but you know 2, my point 2800 yeah and i've only been living with the cat i mean granted some of the photos go Jeez. back to i don't think i have 2800 photos just in general i have um <laughs> i don't think i've ever taken that many photos honestly. i have <laughs> oh god i'm afraid to admit this yeah, to you guys. i have i'm opening my camera right now 44,757 oh, photos. This goes back to 2011, though, but still, 44,000. So I, I clearly like taking photos is the point. Yeah, I might have like half of that maybe And if I'm lucky. And the thing is when I do take the photos and when I choose to share them because it's not going to share 2,800 cat photos, but when I choose to share them, I like to sit there and meticulously, as Angel pointed out, you know, edit them. So for adult me, what constitutes a good photo, quote unquote, isn't necessarily what's dead center in the way a light gun game would want you to be dead center. You know, it's it has rule of thirds. It has dynamics and to the picture and dynamic scales. So it's it's as silly as it sounds. Making sure that nothing is obstructed in a shot, unless I'm choosing for it to be for whatever visual reason. Professor Mirror, though, he doesn't care about that. I can have a picture of a Pichu and a. He doesn't Grokey. care about composition. He does not care about composition. I can have a picture of Groki and Pichu frocking in a field, both being half blocked by like flowers and grass, and I'll get four stars. I can have a picture of a Magikarp where one-third of his body is not even in the shot, but because he's doing his canned animation, it gets three stars automatically. And, you know, you can do one, two, three, four, and then up to, like, S or something like that. Yet a cool photo that I had of, like, a Pokemon looking off in the distance where he's kind of off-center, but there's the coastline next to him and the lighting's hitting just right, one star. And, you know, to be fair, sometimes it works out nicely with really great okay, pictures well, you, have, you have to remember – you have to remember this, this is also a researcher – yeah. yeah. Well, well that, this yeah, is my well, point. This is my point. This is totally my the, point. Find, 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 the, find the real world implication, yeah. Like, yeah, the game for, for kids. Like, you swear they're going to take that into account. But at the same time, and in world-wise, I mean, does this professor, do we know if he has a background in photography? Dude's or name is Mirror. I mean, He's named what? after the technology in a camera. Come on. <laughs> His whole goal is to photograph hey, every Pokemon. I mean, there are mirrorless cameras now. Yeah. Just because true. your name is Mirror, I mean, that's just what's his given name. I mean, he has no control over that. But he chose a profession that matches it, so, you know. 
No, but I, I <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make them good at it automatically. I know. If anything, it makes them more likely to not be. And, like and this isn't so much it. a knock against the game's mechanics because, like, it does work out where nice photos can be centered well and everything. But it, my point is, it's taking my brain some rewiring to like be like, okay, this isn't actually about photography. While as a kid, when I played it as a kid, I was like, this oh my god, this is about photography. Isn't about photography. What? What was that? No, I just said like this game about taking pictures is not about photography. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. So it just takes a little rethinking, and you know what? What gets a little frustrating is even in that context of okay, Professor Mirror doesn't care about composition in the real sense. Like he says, pose matters and everything, but it's really just do your light gun game. Even then, some of the secondary tasks he assigns, where you have to capture certain conditions, you think you got it, you don't necessarily. And I'm not sure what determines like you know it kind of fluctuates a little in terms of what he's looking for when you think, all right, I figured out the game's like algorithm, and then you kind of don't. And that's kind of the thing with like a lot of Pokemon Snap, which is the store my last thought is that it gives you all these different ways to do something, but it feels like there's really only one way you're supposed to do something. Like yes. You can select and edit your photos using the controller, but everything about the menus is made for touch, which in handheld mode, luckily, it does support. But on the flip side, everything about exploring the Pokemon world feels developed for dock mode to have on your big TV to the point that, like, the frame rate starts to chug in handheld if you're doing some of the more elaborate sequences. And, you know, I could talk about how, like, the discoverability of other players' photos in the game isn't necessarily as strong as it could be, or, you know, while the Pokemon look great, some of the environments are a little less so, but, like, ultimately... Once I get over the hump of this isn't a photography game, it's a light gun game that you explore a Pokemon world in, um, you know, it's really fun. Like it, 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 the, the, the photography thing in the grand scheme of things isn't holding me back. Like the fun of rolling through these environments, seeing the Pokemon come to life, um, it's, it's like your own personal safari and it's exactly what I've always wanted from the Pokemon franchise to be like in that world. And on that level, new Pokemon Snap does deliver. Like it's not perfect. It's just a lot of fun to experience, you know, and and if you like the first one, you're going to like this one because it's capturing that same experience. It just, you know, the photos aren't exactly photos. They're just sort of like gun freeze frames. So if you can go over that, it's a good time. And, you know, the it, it I can assure you that it's not necessarily the nostalgia of the Pokemon Frenzy in the 90s that made you like the first Pokemon Snap. It's it's nothing like that. It's legitimately a very fun gameplay concept so you know rest assured if you like the first one with a few caveats here you're gonna like this one too and that's pokemon snap and a deep dive mm-hmm. into my photo it sounds like a happy section. ending yeah yeah so um yeah. so yeah from the serene i guess to something way more intense kevin apex legends season nine how is it how's it going apex legends season nine legacy well so apparently they dropped the uh the numbering scheme because before it would Whenever they, they'd announce it, it'd be like Apex Legends. Right under it, it would say the season name, and then right under that, uh, the season number. My my bad. And then right under that, the season name. They just decided to drop season nine, which is weird, considering that season ten is like you know a big milestone, and they're just not going to call it season ten or season X or whatever. So now, so it's just it. Apex Legends Legacy, like it's some sort of spinoff game or something. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, yeah. So Legacy, it's probably the biggest update that Apex has gotten. Uh, it added a new legend. Her name is Valkyrie. She's awesome. She's got a jetpack. Her like tactical ability that recharges allows her to, to just drop a bunch of missiles on like enemies. And her ultimate ability allows her to take herself and her teammates up to the skies to essentially dive around a small distance on the map. She's incredibly useful whenever you need to get out of some like more hectic situations or you want to 
just dive bomb on an enemy team to, you know, get the jump on them. Uh, she's an incredibly mobile character, and those are the most fun to play as for sure in the game. Just like Octane, who's a, a speed demon, or Horizon, who can lift herself up into the air really quickly. Uh, so she's really, really fun. They also added a new point of interest on the Olympus map called Icarus, which is also really cool. It's got like this, it's got like this tech vibe that the rest of the map has, but it's also like overgrown with like giant roots and giant trees. Uh, gives the, gives that area of the map a definitely a different feel compared to, uh, the rest of it. And then they also added a new weapon, the bow check, which is a compound bow. And there's a lot of attachments that you can get for it. I, unfortunately, am very, very terrible with uh, with it. <laughs> just as I'm a terrible Hanzo in Overwatch, who just uses a, a you know, bow. So I don't go anywhere near it. But uh, your brother, Angel Elvis, he loves it. So, But he's not a Hanzo main in Overwatch, the way our friend Matthew is. But Matthew also loves yeah, it. He plays so. the ninja, huh? Usually, yeah, he uh, plays Genji. So he plays he plays Hanzo's brother, Genji. Yeah. But the star of the update for sure is the new three v three mode called Arena. Um, oh, and it's also permanent. It's it's not this. Uh, oh, it's this permanent. Mode that they're just going to take out. So yeah, they're not. Permanent. They're not doing a Fortnite. They're actually just adding instead <laughs> of taking away. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. What are you thirty two? A Fortnite? A for- I yeah. Oh, they're not doing. They're not doing what the kids the kids do. Fortnite. Yeah. So this mode, it's it's very very simple. It's essentially deathmatch with no respawns. So you get one life and that's it. You and your teammates. Uh, your team has to win with a minimum of three points of three points of like three rounds, and to win the entire match, you have to have at least one. With the two-point differential, if that makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense to you guys? I think so. Oh, yeah. So, like, by, so it's like tennis. You have to win by two points. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, yeah. you keep oh, going yeah, forever. Perfect. Yeah. Um, but here, you don't have to... You don't go forever. You essentially just... <laughs> uh, so the, 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 the minimum amount of rounds that a match can go is three. And that's, like, just if you either, you know, three and O oh, or O oh and three, your opponent's... Or if uh, they have one and you have three, you know. But the maximum amount of rounds is nine. And that's going all the way to sudden death. Uh, that's that's actually one of the great one of the great things about this mode. Is that you're spending at most maybe 15 minutes in a match. Compared to 30 minutes in a battle royale. If you get like all the way. And like in that mode, it can take 10 minutes before you come across an enemy team. Uh, here you have no choice but to confront the enemy team within like one or two minutes because where one of the differences lies between the battle royale and the arena mode is that obviously you don't need an entire map to fit 60 players you're only fitting a tenth of that so respawn like created a few handcrafted maps for this mode that are just a little bit bigger than a regular point of interest on uh, a battle royale map but they're also taking some point of interest in those maps and just like retrofitting them to this mode. I don't believe those mo those uh those maps are out yet. But um another difference is you don't exactly find weapons on the map the way that you would in uh, Battle Royale. 
Instead, at the start of each round, you have a certain amount of credits to spend, similar to Counter-Strike or Valorant. Uh, and if you guys uh, follow me on Twitter, you guys know that I love me some Valorant, so <laughs> seeing Apex and Valorant mixed together is... Oh, it feels so, so good. So, you have a certain amount of credits at the start of each round, and what's interesting is that those credits don't carry over to the next round. So you can't just hoard credits in the first two rounds and then just buy top-tier weapons and equipment for the later rounds. With these credits, you are buying those weapons, as I just mentioned, upgrades for the weapons, abilities, and armor as well, as well as equipment. Um, that seems like a good decision, right? To to not let people strategize by just hiding in a corner and hoarding points during the first round or two to then go blitz the last round. Yeah, exactly. As soon and you also don't carry over the weapons uh, into the next round, so you're so you always you always have to like spend your credits to, you know, you you can't you can't just that's that's another great point where you can maybe buy you know a cheap gun win the round, and then the next round, oh, let me just upgrade it. No, you have to rebuy the gun. You have to rebuy all the uh, all your abilities. Like, nothing carries over from round to round, which I think is a, a, uh, a great design choice on Respawn's part because that just means that you're not going to get blown out yeah. by round three. You know? Yeah, I think, Everybody's I, think on it, equal I think it kind of levels the playing field a bit. As someone like looking at it, as someone yeah, who exactly. plays Apex kind of more casually, yeah, more of a skill. For yeah, sure. yeah, because at that mm-hmm. point, it's just how well you can play the game versus like can you strategically hoard a gun. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there is ways to earn a few extra credits. Like on the on the maps, there will be a few little points where you can collect maybe about like two hundred credits, which isn't that much. Like you could maybe get. No, I don't think you can even get like a full, a full upgrade really, uh, and then you could also earn a few extra credits by by uh, taking down a, a couple of uh, opponents from the previous round. They also do drop care packages similar to the battle royale, and those care packages will usually have some very, very, very good weapons with like all their um, with all their upgrades already. So it becomes this thing where it's like, do we go for the care packages for the weapons? Because, like, obviously the other team is going to want it to do it too. And if we go for it, we might be just sitting ducks out in the middle of the open, you know? Um, it, The mode is super, super fun. Nothing can really match the feeling of having, you know, your two teammates down and you just clutching it by wiping all three of the, your opponents. Or, like, vice versa. Me being down and then seeing... Angel's brother just destroyed the enemy team and then us winning the round. Uh, the only reason I'm a little hesitant to get into it right now is because there's still no ranked mode. I definitely prefer playing games that have, or like, like competitive games of this nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, I rarely I, play I get the trios in the battle royale mode. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, uh, yeah, the, the, the trios in battle royale is fun, especially if, you know, you just want to get a quick fix where, you're not too stressed out, but I mainly play ranked, uh, where it's like, I really have to focus or else I'm going to, you know, rank down as opposed to rank up, uh, here, there's still only a non-ranked mode, but I believe respawn did say that there will be a ranked playlist in the future. So I got that to look forward to. I this mode is, is fantastic. It's, it's probably the best one since I got back into the game all the way back to season five. So yeah, 
almost four or five seasons ago. There's truly a little bit of everything in this game now for everybody. So that's awesome. And Respawn has said that they want to add like non-PVP components to this game at some point in the future. Oh, really? I think this update, yeah, I think this update is definitely, like with this update, you could definitely see some stuff, some of those uh, PVE stuff crawling through. Mm-hmm. Uh, a while back, actually, I believe it was like season three, where they did add like a PVE component on the world's edge map where you drop into a pit and you play like three rounds of these uh these like tiger-like creatures just attacking you uh, in waves. Uh, but they also added like a few story things to this. Uh, the Apex Legends has always had a story, um, just like in the background, where you know the Apex Legends is almost a game show, right? Or, or right. The, the Apex Games is 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 a game show, and it's in the Titanfall universe. And this new character Valkyrie is actually the daughter of one of the main antagonists of Titanfall Two, so they. Respawn definitely does want to add more Titanfallness into this game. Valkyrie, I think, was the the perfect stepping stone to that. So I believe they will be adding some PVE content in the future, uh, whether it's you solo or you with your teammates. I it, it's got to be with your teammates because you know this this game is revolves around having at least one other person with you at all times. That's why they never introduced a uh, a permanent solo mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Respawn has been hitting it out of the park. It's like, it's insane. I remember like a year in to Apex. There are all these hot takes and think pieces about like how it fizzled out. <laughs> Do you remember that? Like, cause like it didn't have the buzz for a minute there. Like it was doing well at first and that kind of wasn't for a bit. It wasn't not doing well, but everyone's like, oh, well, it's not growing. And now you're talking about how it's this whole expanded well, yeah, universe. It, it, it and wasn't a hundred million active thing. players I saw the other day. Like they're really, they really turned that around. It's crazy. Oh yeah, when this when this season launched, their servers just completely broke. Like you couldn't get into a game for the update got, went live at 10 a.m. I didn't get into a match until about 6 p.m. Wow. Okay, that's literally an eight-hour wait. Crazy. This update was. server issues. Jeez. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and granted, like I tried to get in there immediately and I couldn't get in for maybe about 45 minutes. So then I, I would go away, come back maybe an hour or two, still couldn't get in. So, but yeah, this, this update had, has everybody really excited, not just because of the implications of what Respawn is doing with story and potential PVE stuff, but because what it also means for the Titanfall franchise, which Titanfall 2 in the last couple of months has seen a a recent like uptick of player interest. So, Hmm. you know, maybe this, this gets respawn to do a a Titanfall three. So I Titanfall two is, is widely considered as having one of the best, uh, story campaigns in first person shooters. So you never know. Right. Right. Wait, so I could be wrong, but is this Valkyrie, is her ult, getting one of those titans or is that or is a titan in the game not a mechanic yet so there was a there was a leak where supposedly the new character yeah the new character would drop down a titan and they would suppress uh an area near them so that was completely false as a as side of the creator would say 
Yeah, so that was a lie. <laughs> um, so she, yeah, she doesn't summon a Titan. Her ult is is like when you get on one of those balloons that shoots you up into the air and then you just dive. But she does essentially feel like uh. a mini Titan herself with her rockets, her jetpack, like all her mobility stuff. So, and she is a a Titan pilot in the uh, in the lore of the game. So, so all all the threads yeah. are there to make something like that become a reality down the line, if they want. Yeah, to. exactly. I I don't think that they will ever add Titans into the game. They respawn did say that they do want to add more Titanfall stuff into Apex. And I believe what that means is at some point in the future, there will be a legend that can wall run because that's all that Titanfall is. It's just wall running. So I'm sure we'll get a legend in the future that where you will be able to do that. Initially, Respawn did say that they wanted to add that feature, but it just became very, very difficult. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if wall running is in the future, is in a future legend as a passive ability. No, I never made that connection. I mean, obviously, I'm sure any respawn fan already did, but I never made a connection of the fluidity of Apex and running and the idea of wall running for Titanfall and how that, like, the, that's kind of like respawn signature thing. I never thought about that, like, just the fluidness. Huh. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe this is the best feeling uh, Battle Royale for sure compared to Fortnite oh, and absolutely. Uh, Warzone, which, granted, they, they're doing very different things. But also, like, the gunplay, I don't think uh, any of those games match the quality of, uh, of respawn's gunplay. Yeah, I feel. I feel like maybe Apex... if Bungie decided to get into the battle royale stuff, but that would be very, very dangerous for Bungie. <laughs> I feel like they're too deep in the like grind of Destiny at this point, like that sort of type of yeah. game. But yeah, I think I think I think a battle royale from my limited experience with different ones. I think a battle royale is best as a first person shooter. Like I think Apex is my favorite. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like I understand that Fortnite's going for the metaverse and all that, but like. It feels kind of I, I I it's still to this day when I occasionally boot up feels kind of clunky, like it's weird because it's you know a billion dollar industry in and of itself, but it still feels kind of weirdly clunky. Like it doesn't have the smoothness of like a polished like you know Apex sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Respawn is is showing any signs of slowing down. I believe EA sees this as one of their biggest properties now can and only only strictly because of how much money this yeah. game makes um oh i didn't even talk about the battle pass the battle pass for this uh season kind of kind of weak compared to uh the last two or three battle passes yeah so there's ten dollars that kind of wasted because i i just didn't like a lot of the a lot of the uh stuff that they were giving out but i mean what are you gonna do I'm still going to buy the Battle Pass. I'm obviously a huge fan. Right, right. And if anything, it's more just to pay forward to future updates. It's not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, that's Legacy. That, I, I should probably go check that out. It's not, it, 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 day and date was on Switch as well, right? I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and, and the arena mode is actually does feel like it would suit uh, the Switch way better than an entire Battle Royale mode. Right. Yeah. That was kind of my passing thought when you were, when you were first talking about it. It's just like there's just less happening, easier for the switch to process. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. I guess that brings us to news. And oh, 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 no, I do have a transition. I was actually, I think I have a transition. Um, so here we go. You guys oh. ready? <clears throat> Apex Legends wasn't the only game to get shaken up with a new mode. All right. That brings us to Super Mario Party. There we go. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, really, in a surprise move, um, Super Mario Party 
now has online play. The difference here between Apex and Super Mario Party is Super Mario Party took two and a half years to get it, while Apex has just been cranking out updates pretty regularly. Um, so what was your guys' reaction when the announcement popped up out of nowhere last week that now, at last, Mario Party is online? Maybe a little too late, hmm. considering how we're closer to getting back yeah, to normal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Too late in the sense of – I thought I meant too late in terms of Mario Party's like release, but you meant in terms of the pandemic. Yeah, that that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, like, I mean, obviously, like, I was like, like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I mean, it's great that it has it, but, yeah, kind of on the same sentiment. When when we needed it, or when I personally needed it, because there were definitely plenty of times where we were like, oh, man, we, if only we could play Mario Party right now. Like, literally those words. Yeah. But we couldn't. Yeah. And we, like, yeah, we moved on. Like, there, we're just playing other things now. And, I mean, maybe we'll revisit it, but I kind of doubt it because the game was already kind of like at that point where it's like well we're only playing it because it's the newest one it i feel like it doesn't really hold up as well as like the other mario parties i'd much rather replay an older one just because especially in a 4v4 setting the maps are really boring they're very it's, like, it's very even though it's only 10 turns yeah they managed to stretch out 10 turns over two hours versus in the past you would have like 15 turns or less in like 45 minutes or something like that Wait, what? And that's How does it take you two hours to do ten turns? So dense. Dude, it takes like... Oh, dude. In, in Super Mario serious? Party? Jeff Gersman from Giant Bomb called it the best, where Super Mario Party is the Red Dead Redemption 2 of Mario Party games. <laughs> because the animations... Just, everything oh, yeah, no, the so animations long, take like, forever, but no, the, the ten turns the is still like 45 like minutes to an hour. Ten seconds, way too long. And they do sets of three. Okay, I think two hours may have been an yeah, exaggeration, yeah. but either way, like... You do a lot less and a lot more time where in the past you would get a lot more done in the same amount of moves. Which is like it, super funny and we, because and, it's so streamlined. And we played them almost and we played like Mario Party two semi recently. Like I think like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. And it it's like night and day, just how much like how many things you interact with, just how many things you could do in one turn. Like moves turns are so swingy in the past and it just makes them more exciting. Right, something a little more aggravating if you're on the receiving end of the punishment, but just way more exciting. But now it's just there's something yeah. about there, there's something about Super Mario Party that just feels sterile compared to you know like Mario Party two, three, mm-hmm. four, really five, good work the for it. Games. I think I yeah. think there's uh, well two things. One, Angel, excellent choice in picking Mario Party two to play because that is definitively the best Mario Party. No, it's Mario Party. No, it's, no. it's definitely not. We, no. we we also revisited Mario Party Four, and that one, damn, that one held up really well. That one actually held up more. Yeah. That, that one was better than I remembered. I thought the running was going to be really slow because I just remembered that being a sticking point to me, but it wasn't bad. The only thing that I would maybe say was a kind of a knock against it is the over reliance on the mini and mega mushroom, but everything else was really fun. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Aesthetically yeah. wise, yeah, Mario Party Two is like. The most interesting oh yeah, one. for sure the costumes. But yeah. um, but so that's the one, the two things they say. The other thing is in terms of, I guess it's three things really, because the the sterileness, the simplicity. It's like because they definitely like playing Super Mario Party. The first thought I had was, oh, this is like a restart of the series. This is the second time I use this analogy today. This is the new Super Mario Brothers of Mario Party. Like they scaled it back. You know, the fact that they made it easier to get the star. It's fewer coins. It moves around more. Everything's more compact. But then, yeah, it does, to your point, have a bit – because they kind of reset it, they, like, took away some of the character and personalities they could, like, rebuild it later. Like, I feel like so much they removed 
was just to be able to then add it back in with sequels or follow-ups or, you know, kind of like once once they did that silly thing where they all move around in one car, I feel like they're kind of out of ideas. <laughs> so now they're like restarting it. But I guess, yeah, they went a little simplistic with the maze for sure. And the time it takes game. It's funny because gameplay wise, it feels quicker. Like things are more compact, but they have like, like the, three like animations are, are, are definitely much. Oh, yeah. Fun. Yeah. And then they have like, yeah, the mini games are fine. It's just like even just buying a star, like you buy the star. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like and the animation for saving it. And then right after that, you still get the animation of everybody like being disappointed. Where in the past, it was just all happening simultaneously. Yeah. But to its credit, though, um, the mode they brought over from, I think it was Star Allies or whatever it's called. That's a Kirby game. Um, Part, the partner mode? The, partner yeah, the partner play. That one or partner party kind of saves me. it a little. <laughs> yeah. Just because moving with two people at once and pretty much being able to move in any direction. Like, there's like no, you don't, you don't have to go forward or backwards, but you have to take into account exactly how many movement spaces you get because you can't double back. You can't just like go one, two, one to the same spot. You have to move that many spaces. So taking all that into consideration does make it a little more interesting. It also feels like the maps were almost built for that. Oh, they totally were. So yeah, they the feel a little less the there. grid, yeah. So, yeah, so it kind of sucks that that mode, yeah, like kind of suffered a little because of also the the lack of variety of maps. I don't know how they only managed to squeeze in like four maps total. It's, it's, where they're tiny. Yeah. Well, they're tiny because they're trying to speed it up, but then they slowed it back down with the triple (laughs) animation. Yeah, they they literally canceled themselves out. (laughs) If anything, yeah, they they ended up a little in the negative. But, yeah, spread them out. Like, even if, like, there's less spaces. Yeah, they're very, they're very squished. Um, Space to run around. I will say what's cool. But, but yeah, the partner party, like, that's, that's maybe something I would actually try to make time to play online because that mode is at least the most fun part about Mario Party. And, I mean, besides the rhythm ones, those are always really fun. I don't and think also the, the, and I'm not sure if the rhythm ones the, made the online The cut. partner raft... <laughs> yeah, I don't think those did. I don't know if the uh, river rafting the... one did, but that mm. one was... Mm-hmm. But the river rafting is also one of the more fun aspects of Mario Party, because mm-hmm. it's all co-op. Yeah. But... And yeah, and yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the thing the is... Online? To, what? I don't think so. So online, from my understanding, I was, the, I was oh impressed that even Partner Party made it into online, to be honest, because they could have just done the main party mode. And the the River Rafting one didn't? That's like I don't think perfect. so. So from my understanding, what made it to online is Mario Party mode, which is, you know, the regular Mario Party, Partner Party, which is what we're just talking about, and the mini games. And not even all the mini games. 70 of the 80 can be played online. 10 just evaporate when you go into online mode. Do probably do latency issues. Although from what I've heard... And seen in videos. I haven't tried online myself, but from what I've seen, there already are some latency issues, but even more so with uh, those 10 main games, I would guess. But yeah, I don't know if Rafting made the cut. I don't think the Rhythm game made the cut. But the bulk, the meat of the game is definitely now all online. Hmm. But I do, I do think, um, I do think you guys raise a good point that if this was aimed at COVID times, it is kind of late. But my, my, so my theory somewhat is that. Um, unsurprisingly, maybe it ties into something a little broader. Like, yes, I think 2000 late. I think yes, will I am. I think, um, I think for sure at the start of pandemic. I don't think will I am said that line. It, it might have been Fergie that the, said the, it. The it might have been Fergie, but it was in. It was definitely was it? Fergie. Okay. Well, who wrote the song? We have to do a deep dive and figure it out. It could have been will I am. <laughs> I don't know. Artists it, like that don't usually write their own songs. Yeah. So. Oh, tr- half the lyrics will I am says. I'm pretty sure he writes because he has such stupid lyrics. I just feel like, like, who is he hiring to come up with that? It has to be him, right? 
Hey man, some of the earlier Black Eyed Peas albums. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they when they went pop and decided to become more like, what sample can we turn to a whole new song without actually changing the sample at all? Like you know what they did with uh, Time of Your Life or what they're doing now with uh, Rhythm of the Night. Like yeah, that's when they started to slip. But their early stuff, they they were pretty good lyricists. Yeah. Wow, that was a tangent. But anyway, my point was, um, I think I think at the start of the pandemic, they're probably oh, this would be a good idea. But my theory is that. This ties into something a little broader. I think – and I think this also ties into why there's so little in the game. I think Nintendo is getting very comfortable and is very much gravitating towards, for lack of being – for lack of a better word, just being frugal or maybe you could say being conservative or being you know very revenue-driven. But frugal I think sums it up best. Um, and my guess is that Nintendo saw an opportunity with Super Mario Party to do a bit of a soft relaunch essentially. They – you know the game's already done well. As an evergreen title, uh, probably better than Nintendo ever expected. It's the top seller. Yeah, in market. spite of everything we mentioned. <laughs> in spite of everything we mentioned. Exactly. And I think that sort of solidified it for them. Like they, this is the top selling Mario Party ever. And the fiscal, uh, year financial report that just came out, like their full fiscal year report, they confirmed it sold nearly 15 million copies. I think it's like 14.97 or something million. And I think that's like millions ahead of any other Mario Party. So they're being essentially rewarded for their kind of light Mario Party. And then at the same time, the Switch, that's now at um, nearly 85 million sold, according to that same report. In its lifetime, it's at, I think, A4, I have it written down, A4.59 million Switches out there. It's, I'll circle back to how it's released to Mario Party, but it's officially the third best-selling system in Nintendo history. It surpassed the Game Boy Advance. It's now only trailing behind the DS and Wii and that sort of like pantheon of Nintendo uh, hardware. In fact, um, if Nintendo can meet its own sales goal for this current fiscal year we're in of $25 million, it's going to have higher lifetime sales than the Wii. You know, of course, there's other factors that play at that point. There's no big pandemic bump this year, uh, although perhaps a Switch Pro could counter that a little. But then, uh, you know, to counter that, there's a chip shortage that's affecting, you know, every electronic company in the planet. And now Nintendo's admitting it could cause problems for them as well, but they don't know to what degree. So, you know, so there, there's that number is in flux. But the point is, there are 85 million Switches out there right now. 28.84 million of them were sold just this past fiscal year during the pandemic. And whether they were sold to people who were hopping on the Animal Crossing bandwagon or people who just were buying Switches because of the pandemic in general, there's now this huge audience of people. Does this include Switch lights? Yes, it does. I mean, it's, it's, the breakdown is something like 20 million Switches and 8 million Switch lights or so. So the Switch is still the big breadwinner, but the Switch light definitely holds its own. And I suspect that's why, you know, Nintendo's still pumping out new colors like the blue one in a couple of weeks. Um, but, but what I was getting at is that you know, of those 20 million switches and eight switch lights, uh, eight million switch lights, there's now a huge audience of people who perhaps didn't have Super Mario Party on their radar in the same way that they had Animal Crossing or Mario Kart or even Mario 3D World, all of which are games that do have online and have done quite well this past year. So Nintendo being frugal in the same way they kind of like, you know, did bare minimum for Mario Party, why make a full sequel when you could take the cheap way out? And they can bring Mario Party in line with the expectations of all those pandemic-era Switch owners, you know, right down to online play, but it's only with friends, like Mario 3D World, or online play, but you have to have an uh, invite code, like Animal Crossing. There's no matchmaking here. They're just mirroring what their other online games have done and done really well with. And then, boom, 
push it out, start a new ad campaign. They're already airing new commercials in Japan for Super Mario Party as if it's a new game. Like, there you go. Plus, even for, like, pre-pandemic Switch owners, it's kind of a win for Nintendo because, like, they're, you know, 15 million out of 85. Ignoring the 28 that were sold, million, like, there's a ton of people that don't own Mario Party. And I, I had a friend who already texted me. He lives up in San Francisco, and he was like, hey, uh, I never thought about Mario Party, but if it has online, like, you want to pick it up and play sometime? I'm like, I already have it. There you go. So they're even going to sell it to some existing Switch owners. And I have to imagine, you know, even decisions like, this being the very first first-party Switch game to use the invite system on in the Switch, like the system-level invite feature, I feel like that's just sort of designed to further nudge that word-of-mouth marking. Like, you know, your buddy wants to play Mario Party with you. Well, you mean you don't have it. Like, it, it's all very conserv- conservatively fiscal but strategic <laughs> frugality to get their game back in the spotlight without having to do a whole lot of work. And I think they probably were inspired by the pandemic but you know i guess it just took time for them to get all the ducks in a row but but more than anything else i think um it does go back to this idea of nintendo has now mastered the art of being frugal and frugal maybe isn't the right word it's the best word i can think of if you guys have a better word i think you get what i mean but um yeah like their fiscal year just like to give you a sense and we're going to dive into financials for a minute i'm sorry but to give you a sense um this past year had their highest ever operating profit is bigger than peak we Bigger than peak DS, they made uh, 640 billion yen, which is nine, 5.9 billion dollars US dollars. That's 82 percent higher than what they made a year ago, and 90 billion yen more than they ever made in any year on record. Um, and of course, you know a big driver of that was Animal Crossing. Um, it did sell 21 million. That's on top of the 12 million it sold before the fiscal year started. So we're looking at it being you know right behind Mario Kart, second best selling game in the 30 millions now. Um, but the pandemic drove a lot of people to buy Switches in general. Like, even digital sales were up 68%. They, you know, because people don't want to go out in the world and buy things. So, like, Nintendo had a lot of revenue coming in from a lot of, like, factors that helped them, like Animal Crossing and digital and Switches. But, but, I think you'd be remiss not to also notice what else really did well if you look at their financials. And I think this is where the frugality comes in. Because in the seven weeks that game like Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury was on Switch... It matched in seven weeks the lifetime sales of the Wii U version, which has been around for seven years. In in uh, you know a couple months' time, Pikmin 3 Deluxe has sold over two million copies. That makes it now the best selling entry in the series, and nearly double what its Wii U version did. New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, you know, one of the Switch's now top ten best selling games, over ten million units sold. That's double what it did on Wii U, even with it having the advantage of being a launch title on Wii U. And, you know, more recently, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Three ports in one. Nine million copies. Bare minimum effort. Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive edition they brought to Switch. One and a half million copies. Like, they just, you know, they could pump out anything. It does all. Even Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I mean, we, I think we we're saying this. I'm after that. I topped the show before we started recording. But yeah, it's the number one selling Switch game. We all know that. 35 million copies. What's crazy is it's also the best-selling Switch game since the start of our calendar year. From January to March... Is the single best-selling Switch game. Four years after it debuted on Switch, seven years after it debuted on Wii U, and like in the last fiscal year, um, VentureBeat did some number crunching. It sold 10.6 million copies, which is more than what big blockbusters in 2020 sold. Mario Kart, eight deluxe, a four or seven-year-old game, depending on how you looked at it, outsold Ghost of Tsushima. It outsold the U.S. physical sales of Final Fantasy VII Remake. 
it just is kind of trucking along. It sold so many just last year that it could be on the Switch's top 10 sellers twice because it re-upped into the 10 million range to get above New Super Mario Brothers U if you're just looking at that one year of sales. Like, it's crazy. And I, I assume you guys are kind of picking up on the pattern here. Like, Nintendo reports that in the past fiscal year, they sold 231 million units of software. That's higher than the Wii's best year. That's the most software I think they may have ever sold. And in their little corresponding slide deck, which we'll link to in the blog post, you know, first episode, if there's anyone out there who wants to look at all the pre graphs and charts and obsess over them like me, um, in there, they say that in this fiscal year alone, there were 36 Switch games that sold over a million copies. 22 were first party. 14 were third party. Obviously, something like Animal Crossing is a shoe in for that on the first party side. Monster Hunter Rise, and um, that's already at 6 million shipped. So that's a shoe in for the third party. But where I'm going with this is Nintendo didn't release anywhere near 22 games last year. They released like seven. They did, however, see older games do really well. Ring Fit's past 10 million copies. Smash is up to like 23 million. Um, Link's Awakening, a which in of itself is a remake to begin with, sold a million copies the year after it was released with no further marketing whatsoever. It just sold a million copies, 1.1 to be specific. And what's crazy is that all these numbers I mentioned for all the old games, for all these ports, are in line with the stuff Nintendo did put out that was new. Clubhouse Games is at like 3 million. Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which if you think about it, you know, Breath of the Wild assets plus an existing Hyrule Warriors engine, they moved 3.7 million units. Mario Kart Home Circuit moved 1.27 million, even at 100 MSRP. So what I or really the numbers, I guess, are saying here is, hey, Nintendo can be frugal and still do insanely well. They don't need an entirely new AAA game at all times. So Super Mario Party just kind of throwing itself out wow, there is that. all they need. And that thing's going to send millions more now. And, like, it, it's funny because I don't think anyone really, like, pays attention to that like i i there was um there's this trial with epic and apple going on right now right where epic says apple should let them do their you know put in app payments apple says no it has to go through us and we take a 30 percent cut it's this whole thing but because it involves gaming all these documents and market research and things that shouldn't be out in the world from all the various game companies are now part of the trial and are now on record and one document that struck me as kind of interesting was microsoft's uh competitor analysis a company that does very much believe you need new AAA games at all times because that's just how their market works. PlayStation sort of similar. But um, they expected Breath of the Wild 2, Metroid Prime 4, Bayonetta 3. They thought they would, those would all come out last year because that's what Nintendo would need to keep themselves afloat. Instead, Nintendo gave us some spinoffs, some ports, and they're still making the most money they've ever made. Granted, Animal Crossing is a big part of that. The pandemic's a big part so of that. So proving but... that Microsoft doesn't... So kind of showing that Microsoft doesn't know. No, what no, no. It's more like it's it, it's not. It's more. It, I wouldn't say I don't know what they're talking about. I think it's more they underestimate, as I think everyone does, just how powerful Nintendo just regurgitating its existing content can be. Whether it's ports, whether it's old games. Except Jason. No, no, Jason no, 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 no. I Nintendo. I didn't think it was as strong until I started looking at the number. And Nintendo or Microsoft document came out from a year ago. Like I'm just looking at what the numbers are saying. I'm not saying I'm having an epiphany here that no one else realized. I'm just saying I think a year ago. When Nintendo's lineup looks so low and bleak, everyone's like, oh, well, they'll sell some evergreens and they'll probably be okay. But to have the highest profit ever, like it, it clearly, you know, to be able to do something like Super Mario Party where they, they don't need to make a sequel, even though we probably want a sequel, like that's, that I think is kind of the, the interesting takeaway from the financials here. And it sort of shapes what, you know, it kind of makes their lineup make sense. Because now, you know, having these numbers and seeing what they're doing with Mario Party, 
Like, I feel like the release calendar, it do, it's not stuck. In the way that we previously, you know, after the Nintendo Direct, we were like, oh, it's, these seem like stop gaps. Like, Nintendo, I remember making the point, Nintendo doesn't have very many first-party games from their internal teams. The internal teams are either doing ports, you know, like Skyward Sword, they're updating existing games with new assets, Final Con Detective Club, they're just taking that entire concept and everything and just reskinning it, essentially. You know, it, it seemed like even the quote-unquote, like, fresher games like New Pokemon Snap or Mario Golf, those were all being handled externally. And it's kind of like, oh, maybe there's just pandemic issues or maybe, you know, maybe they're having some financial – or not financial, but like work-from-home woes and like this sort of thing. And now I'm kind of like, well, no, maybe they just realize they don't need to have them all at once. Like the big guns will come, and when they do, they're going to make a huge splash and probably continue to sell for years on end. I mean Breath of the Wild is still selling millions five years later, four years later. Um, but for now, like in this moment, they can just sort of do stuff – you know, just like, here's something we already released. Here's something you played on a different system. And for Nintendo, maybe not for fans, but for Nintendo, it's an easy win. It makes a ton of money, and it makes the immediate lineup of their kind of small-scale projects just some suddenly seem much more logical, I guess. Um, So that's kind of what I think, like, the takeaway for me with the financials was, at least. It's just, like, we know Mario Kart keeps selling and stuff, but, like, the degree at which every old thing is still doing so well. Like, Nintendo... As long as they keep churning out those hardware sales and getting people to buy switches, they they can ride this out for so long. And it's not something they could quite do with other systems. Like the Wii had a I think a tax rate of like eight games per person, but it fizzled out towards the end. The Switch isn't fizzling out and its attach rate's currently only at like six. So there's potential there to get more games into more people's hands using what they already have. Um Yeah, so it kinda sets the stage for other news Nintendo had, um, like the surprise announcement of Game Builder Garage, which, you know, is a smaller project. Um, would either of you – did you guys see this announcement when they randomly on a Wednesday afternoon just tweeted out with no fanfare? I did. I what did, did you think of it? Do you want to explain it? I did Do you want to try ex- either of you want to explain what exactly it is I, to our dear listeners? I wasn't even sure. It was like – Took me a second to realize it was an official Nintendo thing. I think the first thing I saw actually was um the little, I guess, character they have, little square face character. I'm like, he looks familiar. Like I've seen him somewhere. I think it was in um, a Nintendo mm-hmm. Labo. Mm-hmm. I think he's like controllable somewhere. He's like the little guy when you make Power when Wind. you use um Toy Con Garage, which this thing riffs on. He's uh the little dude who uh is your interactive guy when you play your games. Like, he's the actual protagonist so, of your games. So, uh, Imran Khan, a video game journalist that I follow, he actually stated that when he was hearing about this game, it was being referred to internally as Labo 05. So that's probably probably why that makes sense. Yeah, and and it and when I was saying how, like, you know, the all that financial mumbo-jumbo I ran through about reusing old stuff, how it sets the stage, I mean, this thing is reused Labo assets. That, that That's all it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool. In that you get to build your own games, but um, they did this already with Toy-Con Garage. The difference with those is you need cardboard accessories to do all your programming and stuff. Here, they just swapped it out for a more familiar and baked into the Switch interface of controllers. But it's kind of the same thing. Um, I mean, even the way it's divided into two modes. There's lesson mode, where it will teach you how to do programming and logic, which is very much like the pre-baked stuff that came with Labo Garage mode. And then there's free programming, where you could just run wild and do what you want very much Labo. It is Labo 05, like you were saying. 
Yeah, I mean, it's cool that Nintendo's finally doing this on a more yeah. intricate scale. Kind of like, you know, we got... I mean, the biggest comparison point is obviously, like, Little Big Planet. It's But, I mean, the main difference being that Little Big Planet had, like, a whole campaign built around it and also had these tools. But this one seems to lean more towards we want to teach the kids closer to what it actually is like to develop a game. You know, it's... It, it, it's more in line with um actually a lot of the programs they use in schools to teach programming, like the same kind of like box system to drag little things mm-hmm. nodes to other things. That's pretty much L- how literally. It is. The... But little big planet, but little big planet also had some of that, but it was definitely more. I guess it was more in game. I guess I should say because like, you mean you literally had to move Sackboy around and get his little poppet tool. I think is what it was called. And have them do all that in kind of a slower way. But, you know, you were able to achieve everything. I mean, people literally created a working, like, um, Windows OS system that allowed you to boot up paint and draw. And not to even to mention, I mean, yeah, not even mentioning, like, Dreams. Like, they're essentially the game that came after for Media Molecule that pretty much lets you make any kind of game you could think of. And it's pretty ridiculous. People have created a... Really good, like Sonic Adventure Two, like remake of um, I think it was like the the jungle level where you play as Sonic. Like it, it's ridiculous, but this you know, the Nintendo side of it, and it looks like what you can make with it is pretty impressive yeah. as well. Um, I don't know, it looks cool, but I don't think I'm gonna get it just because I always get excited about these things and I never make anything. Yeah, happen. it's so I'm just gonna in in spectate. some ways your comparison to. Uh, a little big plant's interesting, but the thing I kept looking at is this is like a this is like a expanded Mario Maker almost. I mean, obviously it comes from Toy Con Garage and it spins out of that, and the similarities. Are, I mean, like literally the interface is the same. They just put characters for every input you can do. Call a little node on to your point about nodes a minute ago, but um, yeah, like the way it's structured is more Mario Maker in that um, they give you a toolbox and then you go and see what people make with it and that's the extent of it i mean mario maker even included some baked in levels and i think nintendo is going to have some baked in um pre-made stuff for you to use in lesson mode but it's it's very less little big plan and very more mario maker i mean even the way that they're now finally like what the biggest pain point with touring con garage is you could not ever actually download anyone else's creations this takes a cue from mario maker in that you can browse creations download creations use a code to share creations and then actually peek behind the curtain at the mechanics of the creation and then riff on those mechanics yourself, which is straight out Mario Maker. And this is a physical release um, I don't know if it's physical only, but whatever it is, however you choose to get, however they make you get. From what I've seen, it looks is like it? it That is. doesn't make any sense. There's no reason it should be. I mean, half of the things they release like that don't make any sense. I mean, Labo, Labo kind of, I, yeah. I, I, I could see making Ring sense, but Ring Fit Adventure, heck no. That yeah. should not have been... But yeah, it's uh, whatever this ends up being. It is thirty bucks, which is not bad price wise. Um, but yeah, it, I, I'm just glad they add online sharing because like the the thing about toy. I remember when Toy Con Garage was a thing and Toy Con Garage VR, where like people were making some really cool stuff, and you just had to like see a video of it. Like there was no way to experience any of it, and I, I wouldn't necessarily bust out a cardboard piano again just to try how someone turned it into like a tool to make a marionette dance or something but the the vr ones in particular seem like something that would have been cool to be able to try so do you say mario yeah, you know like a puppet like marionette. 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 Right. marionette it's spelled marionette i thought you're no, making a mario pun been. you know at one point there's actually gonna be a mario game 
that was codenamed Marionette, Marionette, not Marionette, and it was on an E3 list of a. Oh, like a female was, Mario? No, no, no. It was on. It was like 2002 or three, I think, and it was on Nintendo's release calendar at E3 in their press um, packet. Marionette, and it was some sort of puppeteering Mario game. No one ever saw it. It never like surfaced in any capacity. They just had the name on a list of games, and then it was gone. It's kind of like Mario 128, where it's like talked about, but never really was mm. a thing. But yeah, so that's probably where I got my that's probably where I got my mispronunciation for all these years. Did you ever play Puppeteer on PS3, Angel? I did. I played it in 3D. The game was awesome. Yes, yeah, so a Mario Spectacle game like that would be. It wasn't the cool. wasn't the hardest game ever, but it was it was amazing to look at for sure. Recommend it for anyone that played. I don't know who made it. It, it was first party, wasn't it? I remember recently I think learning it was Studio Japan. Uh, yeah, I think it was here where you mentioned it was like, oh yeah, they made this and then I'm like, what? They made that too? Um, what else did they make? I'm probably gonna have the same reaction <laughs> again. Studio Japan. What else did uh, they make? Studio Japan. They did. I mean, they did. Yeah, Loco. If, if it's them that did Puppeteer, they did Apparently. Loco Roco. They did Patapon. Oh, they did that. They did. Oh, what the? Okay, we well, shouldn't oh, okay. be surprised right, yeah. if Patapon and Loco Roco are the same. They look the same. Yeah, 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 yeah the, but I mean, I really like. I think they did. Ape I mean, Patapon. Is that right? Yeah. They did all the quirky. That sounds. They were, right. and now actually, uh, Sony's shutting them down, which is sad. Because I, I thought that was some. They're, oh, they're Sony's shifting resources in some ways, and it seems like towards more blockbuster releases on some level. But uh, yeah, Studio Japan. I don't know if they're fully shutting it down, but a lot of people all left at once, very recently, which kind of sucks. Because I always thought, like, Oof. I remember when PSP was first coming out, I thought Loco Roco and Papa and all that were like really kind of clever handheld first ideas that had like an air of kind of nintendo e like style to them but were also they're very very much their own thing it's like a neat little like carved out corner they did of like the japanese game market and yet now that studio's gone yeah they did a good job of making it feel like like wow this is like a this is a yeah yeah PSP and, game. and they let like, you know the same way that some nintendo games feel like oh this is all could have only been on nintendo like these really felt like these were PS like they made. Yeah, the PS it's very much how Astro local, local. is with PS5 with Playroom, which actually might also be Studio Japan. Now that I think yeah. about it, I'm not sure. It would make sense just given the yeah. quirky. I mean, yeah, the animations kind of remind me of um, Puppeteer for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's probably yeah. them. But but anyway, we we digress a little. Uh, the the it's not like we have Google or anything. No, it's not like but... we could just look this up. It's yeah. just speculating wildly with no one able to correct us because this is a recording. But yeah, it's 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 hopefully those folks land on their feet and keep making some quirky stuff like that. But in terms of uh, game builder garage, that's what it's called, right? I almost forgot the name. Game builder garage. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say that the whole project, like to your point, Angel, I don't know if I would get it. I mean, Kevin, would you? Are you into this sort of level of creativity? Are you go buy this? No, even even back in the little big planet days, I would make terrible, terrible levels. I was more of a just. Uh, I forgot what they what they would call it. I, I know Dreams is called Dream Surfing, where you just go through random levels. I forgot what Little Big Planet was, but that's pretty much how I would just play other people's right. things. That's that's me with Mario Maker. Like I initially was thinking I would not buy this at all, and I was like, well, actually, if there's ways to just try other people's experiences. Well, actually, I buy everything. So not true. I don't own Pikmin Three Deluxe or Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity. Because you already have a version of them. Not at Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity. That's a sequel. Well, you tried to demo. Oh, you're I did right. try to demo. Right. True. I try everything they put out. Oh, man. My brother reminded me the other day. I completely forgot mm. this happened. Remember E3? Yeah, no, we it? can move on. Okay, so I'm going to... All right. Are we going to tell the story? Oh, Are we going to tell man. the story? Do you want to tell the story? 
Yeah, I remember the story. So. I, I, it wasn't I, E3, I, it was Comic-Con. I kind of remember the It was not E3, it was Comic-Con. It was, tw- it was summer 2014. Comic-Con, there you go, you're right. Comic-Con. It's seared in my memory. It's like, do you remember where you were when, like, JFK was shot and I love it happened? This is seared in my memory. Um, I was playing the High Rewarders demo, and the guy who was guiding the demo told me, all right, here's the controls, and you know, here's how to attack, here's how to, you know, do this, do that. What he did not tell me is unlike... Or borrowing from Zelda games, I guess you could say, there was um, Z-targeting. He just told me, here's how you attack, here's how you defend. So I was playing through the whole demo without Z-targeting. You know, most people would figure now, this out on their I own. Now, I just though, listened but, to know, what he Jason. said the controls were, and I'll admit I'm at fault. Um, but I just, you know, was playing through and not Z-targeting. And it got to a boss fight, and I was attacking the boss, but I was not Z-targeting. And I died because I was not Z-targeting and not actually, you know. And then the Nintendo rep's like... You were the first person to ever play this demo during Comic-Con that died. And I was like, uh, what? And, like, of course, at this point, Angel and Elvis and everyone yeah, else was, like, so behind funny. me watching. It, yeah, but then it was the like, most yep, embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> no, but it was like he literally, like, the dude was just, like, <laughs> this guy the, the Nintendo, Nintendo dude. Podcast. Yeah, hosted a Nintendo podcast, playing a game, and the Nintendo dude didn't tell me controls I didn't think of checking and then I died and he immediately was like wow you suck and I'm like oh thanks Nintendo man <laughs> it was so bad yeah I mean he's not wrong he's not but wrong but to hear him say it because yeah. like demos and you know the funny thing about that you know the funny thing about that <laughs> is so I go to E3 Nintendo skill I mean Jason skill well, what's funny is I go to like E3 the following year well, or Comic Con or whatever and I was like very self-aware of am I playing the demo good enough for the people behind me in line? Like, I never had that thought before Hyrule Warriors. But after that incident, I was, like, very conscious of am I playing it right, quote-unquote. Like, only for, like, a year or two, and then I lost it. Oh, but it's just like, I was like, oh, God, this is, ah, oh, what? I just gave him a random town business card. I can't be bad at this now. Ah. Like, it was, yeah, it was, it was very much a thing, briefly. I still blame him on some level for not telling me about Z-targeting because Warrior Games don't... I mean, I probably would have pressed every button to see what they do. Well, I yeah, was listening like to the, the demo. I almost never even listened to what they're telling me because I would assume they're see, telling I assume me wrong. Telling it's me like right. the parts I know they're not... When Ron I know their job tells uh, the guy at like, that Best Buy, like, oh, can I help you? And Ron Swanson goes, I know more than you. That's that's Angel with the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I feel about well, every demo kiosk. I, but, I mean, we are... T- I mean... Th- but I mean, this is Jason. I mean, we're talking about the same person that said, like, you know what? I'm going to play Smash Brothers yep. with the Wiimote nope. sideways. Incorrect. That Wiimote is what God intended. Not sideways, you madman. <laughs> I need analog. Come on. But yes, for like six <laughs> to eight months after, maybe a year after Brawl came out, I kept going, no, I'm going to play with the Wiimote Nunchuck because that, essentially, that's how God intended it. I was like, Nintendo designed it with this controller. Sakurai made it for this controller. I'm going to play it with this controller. And then I just got walloped for like a year. I'm going to use the motion. I did not Smash do that. I had, I had limits. Um, I will say, I, I think I've redeemed myself wow. in a time since. I remember at the Game Awards after party, the night Smash Bros. Ultimate came out. Nintendo had some kiosks set up. Um, which, by the way, really weird thing. They took uh, YouTube took over a nightclub in downtown L.A., they had Madeon or Madeon, however you say, and the French DJ performing. Meanwhile, Nintendo's like, we're over here in the corner with like eight Smash kiosks. And like the crowd was, I guess because it's the game, was pretty decently split between Smash and Madeon. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I to redeem myself, I killed it at that kiosk. I hung out there for like an hour and I won every single match. So I hope that somehow redeems oh, me. You're in one of those guys. What? You're one of those people that just... Well, I was chatting with... You just stayed at that kiosk for an hour? Well, because, like, what else was I going to do by myself at an after party? 
<laughs> and and more to the point, more to the co-mingle point. mingle with people? Well, yeah, more to the point. I know the Nintendo guy who was running the kiosk, so I was just hanging out with him basically. But like I, it's the one angel that we see at events all the time. So we were actually like catching up. But anyway, uh, I don't remember his name, but you know him if you saw him. Kit? No, not Kit. Yeah, the, oh, the LA yeah, 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 yeah. One of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah, we know yeah. the, an LA rep, we know a San Diego rep, and that's it. Although I think the San Diego rep moved out of San Diego. Either way, um, yeah, so my game skills are very questionable is the takeaway. But my thoughts on games I feel like are a little solid, more solid. And I had two schools of thought about um, Game Builder Garage and specifically like what – like it. So, so um, like what it represents. Like first of all, my favorites. Nintendo now gives up on an idea, right? Toy-Con Garage, super creative, clever ideas out there. Tied to card, tied to cardboard, tied to Labo. You know, Labo sold okay, but not great. So I think Nintendo saw an opportunity here to expand on the idea with something that's more readily available. And then they even went above and beyond. Like all you need is a standard Switch console, but for designing, you can actually plug in a USB keyboard and mouse, which is pretty cool. But more to point, you know, they made something that was more niche, more accessible. So that's one thing that Game Builder Garage has in its favor. The second school of thought, I think, goes back to the whole. Uh, frugal thing i've been saying this episode uh which you know this isn't anything new or like not new new i mean it similar to how a game like fancon detective club is using existing foundation with a fresh coat paint all nintendo's already doing here is taking the existing game building tools and making them work with different inputs like it seems to be the same engine as toy con it developed by the same team as labo it means even when they're selling it at that 30 bucks SRP we're talking about, it's still a pretty good return on investment for them because, frankly, nowhere near the majority of Switch owners, not a third, not even a quarter, not even a fifth, probably bought Labo or touched Labo or ever tried Labo. So for them, it's an entirely new experience. For for folks who did try Labo, it's kind of like a semi-sequel expansion of sorts. It's very much like Super Mario Party. You know, the update works on May levels. This release does too. So... That was kind of my high-level, oh, this makes sense, Game Builder Garage assessment. Um, and it, it comes out on June 11th, which is not very far away. Uh, it's th- it's actually three weeks after Metopia, which uh, kind of funny to me because I feel like conceptually these are two pages from the same playbook. I mean, like, obviously, in terms of Nintendo is frugal, which has been my personal thesis for this episode, uh, Metopia is straight up a 3DS port, so there's no doubt there. It's one from Lay in the System's Life, when, like, a lot of people probably didn't experience it. But, I mean, like, even more personally, you know, we were talking about how, like, we don't necessarily, Kevin, you and I don't necessarily want to, like, customize things. We just want to play existing things. Like, Metopia's big hook is also this idea of, like, creativity that maybe, at least for me, is more than I want to do. Because it turns out, as far as Switch ports go, uh, Metopia had a secret little Bowser's Fury-style edition hidden away in there that Nintendo did not talk about until a demo came out. And then they're oh. like, surprise... And it's an insanely detailed me editor. Have you guys seen any of the me's coming out of the Metopia demo? It's ridiculous. I saw pictures of some, but I since I didn't even know it was released at that point or even announced. I thought it was just like Photoshop versions of people make detailed faces because I'm like, oh, these oh, are not but they are, faces. and that's what's crazy. It's so they like stuck a Mario paint editor inside the me editor kind of like you can't actually be like I want to use this paintbrush and do this pixel by pixel but the way you can manipulate everything has led to like Shrek Squidward uh any number of game characters someone made a Fortnite V-Buck like 
card, you know, like the gift card you get, like Walgreens or something, you scratch off the back. They made a Mii's face that, and it looks like it. Like, it looks just like it. Someone else made Starry Night by Van Gogh. Like, it's insane how much detail there is. And I don't think it's necessarily going to convince me to buy the game because, I again, I'm not that creative. I don't want to be that creative. But, like, it's crazy to look at. Like, there's a link. We'll put a link in the blog post to, like, all the different examples. I think Nintendo Life was the one who compiled it. But it's just, like, it's it's nuts. <laughs> like, it's really impressive. And from Nintendo's perspective, at least, I think it's a really clever way to generate additional interest in Metopia, right? I mean, like, first off, the way they just sort of casually dropped it in the demo without saying anything and then let kind of the internet have at it. That's some good word of mouth marketing, kind of viral marketing. Like, this thing was announced. It, you know, people were like, okay, it's a poor 3DS game. And then suddenly, oh, wow, look at all these Miis. And it was like spreading across the gaming world, at least pretty quickly. But having it tie into what amounts to being me 2.0 at a time when like early to mid 2000s nostalgia is starting to ramp up, that, that seems pretty smart. And I think a lot of folks who maybe really enjoyed making Miis when they were younger, you know, back on the Wii, Perhaps they didn't necessarily feel compelled to buy Metopia. It's just like, oh, it's those things I made when I was a kid, but now, like, they have a story. But instead, what they maybe are seeing is, oh, it's, like, a cooler version of that. I want to try that. That's way more detailed, potentially. And, you know, it's, like, it's a big upgrade of Mies. It's And I think, likewise, those who did play Metopia on 3DS and perhaps really loved the way you can make a story yours with your own Mies here's a reason to double dip. They might be like, wow, I can go even more berserk than I did the first time because the game's basically a playable Mad Lib. So if you can now have an enhanced vocabulary, so to speak, in the game of you know what to fill in the blanks with, like that's just going to motivate people who like the first game that much more. So it's again, it's like that perfect line between updating it just enough that it can maybe get some more numbers but not updating it too much. They have to spend a ton of money. It's very, very smart from Nintendo. And it looks ridiculous. Like you guys should go browse the Miis. It's crazy what people have made. Um, I don't think I'm gonna buy it though. But 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 for those who are interested, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I imagine neither of you were chomping at the bit for Metopia even before the me thing. You should buy it just so that you could update our Mies. But what would I update them with? We'd have to make us look Ooh. super. I mean, we could basically make lifelike photos of us <laughs> at this point. But do mm, it, Jason. I don't know if it's worth the full MSRP. It's your destiny. Well, it's sad that I'm now actually somewhat considering that, but. I don't think so. I, I do um, think, though, it's worth noting, you know, I keep going on to spiel about frugality and how, oh, Nintendo's so clever. Um, they, got, they can fly too close to the sun with this. I think, like, they haven't perfected the art. And I feel like at least having, you know, pretty heavily lavished on praise about, look how good they are. So good they are making money and look how clever their approach is. Like, it's probably worth knowing the big downside, which is like for fans who have been around the Nintendo block, who have experienced these experiences already, it's not really all rosy necessarily. Like, I mean, Angel, I feel like this is your sticking point you've had. You know, you didn't buy 3D World just for Bowser's Fury because you already beat 3D World. You didn't buy Pikmin 3 for the new stuff, the new scenarios, because you already beat Pikmin 3. Like this, right? Like this is a real concern for like a diehard Nintendo fan, right? Basically, yeah. And I think... What's kind of interesting is they're sort of – I mean it's a small example, but the example I gravitate towards is what happened right in tandem with all this news we've been discussing, which was Animal Crossing New Horizons put out its latest free update. It's the first one to uh, lap itself since the game came out. And yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the side of the coin that, Angel, you kept saying when we talk about these ports, and that is you know, you can be frugal, but you can also have that be detrimental. And I think – so basically the games may update 
it brings back game events um, from last spring. So you have May Day where you explore uh, uh, the maze. It has International Museum Day where you go to the stamp scavenger hunt thing in the museum and collect all the little stamps. It has Wang Season where you help take photos. That's all fine and dandy. Like annual events are obviously Animal Crossing's thing. And Nintendo claims they slightly tweaked how they work, so maybe the hedges are laid out differently in the maze or whatever. But that's it. There's no new characters. There's no new spots in town. There's no new shop upgrades, nothing. It's a year, and Nintendo's just like, hey, here's that thing you did before, but now again. And it really just felt like one big metaphor for the risk Nintendo's going to face with their current focus of this like frugality thing. Because, yeah... Animal Crossing will sell to new players. It's slowed down a tad. It's no longer going to pass Mario Kart to be the number one game, but it's still doing really big numbers. And, you know, every news story about what's new in Animal Crossing, even if it's just a tweaked maze, is still going to give it a little extra push into the zeitgeist and get some attention. But if you've been playing for a year, what's in it for you? Like, what's the equivalent of Super Mario Party's online or Miitopia's fancier Me editor or game, uh, build garage, game Builder Garage's, you know, new input options? Or, like, there isn't... Like, is Nintendo essentially leaving you behind? Like, you, perhaps the most loyal fan, having played everything for the entire past year, having bought everything on the Wii U like you did, Angel, like, is is there a risk of being alienated? And I do think in Animal Crossing's case, my metaphor um, does eventually fall apart. <laughs> if you look at the game as almost like a soft reboot, I can't believe this is the third reference I'm making. If you look at Animal Crossing as a new Super Mario Brothers type of game, where they're sort of scaling it back and they're going to rebuild on top of it with sequels over however many generations. Um, sure. Then I guess the strip backness, the fact that they're not necessarily going to uh, have Brewster come back or have new versions of the shop or that sort of thing, I guess that makes sense. I guess I can understand that. But at the same time, maybe that actually makes the metaphor stronger because Nintendo's basically saying, you played all this, and now we're going to do it again, and either you're with us or you're not. But just so you know, we're doing it all again. Like, we're going through that same progression. On one hand, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, we were playing it pretty hard, like, maybe, like, the yeah. first two or three months. I don't remember when exactly I fell off of it. Not because I got bored or anything. I just, I mean, you definitely, I got to the, mm-hmm. you know, the I guess the end game, where you pretty much just have full reign of the island, and you just do as you want. But, I mean, that kind of fell down for me, just because it takes so right. long to terraform, which... You know, it does make me appreciate the people that did go through all that effort. And I do plan on finishing that one day. So kind of in a weird way, like, yeah, it's kind of disappointing to not see some new things coming out. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad as well. Because it's like, oh, I actually missed out on a few of the holidays because mm-hmm. I was just busy with something else. Like, I guess maybe some of those specific events will... Well, I know some of the items have been changing. Like, I mean, I don't know if they're going to keep up with that. Like, some of the stuff for Easter, like, they added a bunch of new stuff. But, you know, yeah, it no, is they, a loop they at did, some point. Um, even for so, the May update, I think they added some new items. Like, they did some stuff with cheese. <laughs> like, that, that's my whole thought. They did things with cheese. Like, they're cheese things. But uh, to your point, yeah. But, but, but in a nutshell, like, I, I'm kind of okay with it just because it's like, I don't think I necessarily want an incentive to dive back into it because for the same reasons yeah. I didn't even get pokemon snap like let it let it chill out so that i don't feel so now it's like the opposite now it's like you know what yeah take your time make it feel like i'm not missing out on anything that way when i jump back it's like cool like i didn't miss out on too much i don't feel that behind because you know if too many new things do come out Mm -hmm. when i'm not playing i feel it's gonna make it that much harder to get back into it 
I only jump back in just to like grab those Mario pipes, just so I could just have them. And if but you, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because if you want to use, if you want to continue this idea that I sort of did of Animal Crossing as a metaphor for how Nintendo treats its lineup now, you're basically making the pitch of your favorite phrase of you know, there's only so much time in the world and yada yada. Like there's something to be said that if Nintendo's gonna like kind of take a break, that's you know money saved, time to spend on other things. In your case, you're talking you're at the top, how you're already playing Smash Bros and Monster Hunter. So there are advantages even for some Nintendo fans of kind of having a breather where yeah there's some stuff but nothing's very crucial like maybe you played it before maybe it's not a big deal maybe a game you already own can be kind of reintroduced in a new way like Super Mario Party you can play it with different friends you can play it with before like there's it's it's interesting I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong like is Nintendo doing the right approach the wrong approach but it is interesting how like the way Animal Crossing being handled is basically the the micro version of how Nintendo treats its entire games library right now and how each fan will interpret that differently. Some will be really mad because they did all that terraforming. Some will be like you or like me who are like, eh, it's fine. And then some will just be like super into every minor tweak and change and want to play every single thing. And, you know, they have the audience range now where I think they can comfortably have all three of those. And some people are going to be super mad. There's a stupid tweet that went viral where a guy's like, oh, well, if you take out all the ports from the Switch and if you take out all the like not big games, quote unquote, there's only like six games on the Switch. It's like, all right, that's what you care about, but I bet you there's someone who has like 12 of those games and thinks they're way better variety beyond the six that you think are the key six or whatever. So like it's definitely going to be a personal thing, but it is interesting how we're not in an era, even with Animal Crossing, where we're like – within Animal Crossing, I mean where we're just like starved for something new. There is always something kind of new. This isn't the Wii U. The question is – this isn't you know the end of the Wii where it's like one game a year. It's just – you know, where do you land on that spectrum of like engagement with Nintendo and what you want out of them or engagement with Animal Crossing and what you want out of them? They're all kind of the same. So because like even you and me and I imagine, Kevin, you're on a whole different scale sort of than us. Like I'm like, I'll buy this. I'll buy that. Andrew, like I'm good with what I have and Kevin, I don't know where you stand, somewhere in between maybe. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. So so we're – but also we're older now. So I feel like collectively we're more like mature about this than like, you know, a kid who maybe – was young and got Mutopia and then is now having a Switch and is a little older. It's like, I want more stuff that's not just what I played on the 3DS. But, you know, again, it's that range of audience. So just something to stew stew on between now and, you know, our next episode. Since honestly, unless you guys have anything else, that that's it. We we covered it all. We covered the entire internet's worth of Nintendo news. Yeah, you could almost say we... We sure, <laughs> we sure did. And, yeah. And we there's did lot pictures, lots well. of pictures. Lots of pictures. Lots of pictures. The real a lot picture of pictures. Book. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back at it again in two weeks time on May 23rd with whatever other tricks Nintendo has up its sleeve. Um, I think the investor Q and a transcript should be out by them and that'll be one of them. So there may be some interesting tidbits about Nintendo's thinking or plans for IP expansion or who knows what. Um, so we'll have that along with impressions of what we've been playing. And of course, in the lead up to that, we will have a new quarantine chronicles coming your way on May. I want to say 16th, whatever next Sunday is. Uh, with 100% fewer sales numbers than this show. That, I think we can promise you. So, um, yeah, to make sure we'll you see. don't miss... Oh, ooh, maybe a twist. I might sneak in a sale number. You have to tune in to find out, I guess, guys. Um, but yeah, to make sure you don't miss it and you know see just how many numbers Kevin will spout, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. We'll send out a tweet when it's live. You can subscribe to us on all the podcasting apps of your choice. Um, we're on literally all of them. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, um, probably ones I've never even heard of. We're probably there too. Uh, we're also on YouTube at RamNintendo.com. And uh, yeah, individually we're on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. I think that's it. Uh, Kevin, last final words? Rest in peace, Giant Bomb East.